Good morning, everyone, and good morning to everyone in television land. Every time I say that, the camera can't pan in on him, but AJ's over here laughing. Television land, all of you do remember that, don't you? Years ago, there was a program on television in the 1950s, which we watched when it was a live program. (laughs) And it was called The Honeymooners. And so Norton and Cramden. And so they're in a television promotional ad promoting what? Can openers? Uh, Some kind of opener. And they come on and they say, hello, everybody in television land. So that's where that's from. And A.J. laughs at it and so on. But, so thank you so much for being here this morning. <clears throat> this morning, we begin to talk about the very core and crux of what it means when the Bible says God is love. Remember the two verses where that said, God is love? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, part of verse 8, and then he repeats it in verse 16. So if you can remember one, you can say 8 and 8 is 16. Okay. It's wonderful to have some of the youth up here today. Good morning, youth. How are y'all doing? Wonderful to see y'all. And so... This part of the study, well, let me say it this way. Everything we have been talking about has been a general preparation or a foundation to bring us to this place. You remember we've talked about God's love in relation to his attributes. And please keep this in your mind. This is critical. It's critical. God's love is always in keeping with, in agreement with, in promoting of all of his other attributes. So there's no such thing as God's love existing in reality and in truth in any way, to any degree, at any time, in competition with any and all of his other attributes. Do we get this? Because getting this helps to form the foundation and the context of the truth of who our God is in himself. And one of the primary weaknesses, I think, that we see in the church concerning and living out and receiving and appreciating and experiencing God's love is a failure to understand God's love within the context of the rest of his essential attributes. And I think we've come to that place. So God's love is omnipotent. Can we love that way? Can our love be omnipotent? Yes or no? God's love is omniscient. What does omniscient mean? It is an all-knowing love. 
can we love in a way that absolutely and comprehensively knows everything about everything about everything at all times? Can we love that way? No. God's love is omnipresent, meaning that everywhere, at every time, in any circumstance, God's love is. Can we love that way? No. God's love is immutable, meaning absolutely unchangeable. So no matter what happens in my life or in your life, God's love never changes. Does our love change with circumstances? Yes. God's love is righteous. In other words, it's always right. God's love is always in keeping with his moral character. Is our love always that way? Is it? And so right off the bat, we begin to immediately realize that God's love is, and to say it this way is really not to say enough about it. God's love is absolutely and comprehensively unique and alien from, totally different other than our love. There is nothing about our love that can be in any way connected connected with God's love except as a mere very, 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 very faint shadow of that love. And what happens is, as we read the Bible, as we walk out our lives in Christ, how many of us have a, a deep desire to love God the right way? Don't we? To love one another the right way. And so what happens is we, we experience something in our lives that clearly indicates, wow, I'm not loving the right way. And so what do we typically do? We ask God for more love. We ask God to make us love better. We, we try to be more patient. We try to be more... Do you find yourself doing this? Anybody? We try to muster up more love. And it's impossible. It's impossible. And so too many Christians, perhaps the majority of the believers, I don't know, are frustrated or upset or confused because I find myself not being able to do what God commands me to do. Right? And that's precisely the point. Precisely the point. We cannot and will never be able to love with God's love on the basis of our own love. Can we begin to get that? deep within our hearts and within our souls. Is our love omnipotent? Now, I can think I can say it now. Is our love omnipresent? Yes or no. Is our love omniscient? Yes or no. Is it omnipotent? Is it mutable? Is it sovereign? Is it righteous? So if our love isn't any of these things, That means that our love must be replaced with God's love. Not that our love must be 
built up and made stronger and bolstered, you know, bolstered up. So I think we've come to the place where we realize how opposite my love is from God's love. Have, have some of us come to this place? We have begun to realize, wait a minute. When the Bible says love one another, man, I'm, I'm going to try. This man is Stephen Fortenberry. I'm going to try to love Stephen. I'm just going to try to do it. Okay, brother, I'm going to work on it. I immediately have failed. Why? Because the pronoun I, 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 I. Immediately we fail. So here's my message. Stop trying. Stop trying to love others with God's love. Because what, David? You can't. You see, can't is New Orleans for cannot. Okay. So this is why the Apostle John in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says what? See what kind of love the Father has has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Why does he use that phrase, what kind of love? Anton, why does he say what kind of love, what sort of love? Because what is he differentiating? He's differentiating between whose? Our love and God's love. This is why he says that. See what kind of love, what sort of love the Father has bestowed upon us. In other words, he has poured into our hearts an absolutely alien love so that now we can begin to experience God's own love and as we experience God's own love we can begin to express God's own love to others in the church in the body of Christ so knowing this helps us to understand why Paul in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul writes this in 319 of Ephesians. He says, he prays that we might know the love of Christ so that we may be filled up to the fullness of God. We might know the love of Christ. Why does he pray that? So that we may be filled up with the love of God. By the way, this is James. He's just coming in. James, good to see you. Yes, you may say hi to James. This is James. James tippy-toed in here. But to me, it was loud walking. And every step, every step you, you took, brother, it said, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Right, James? Every step you took says hallelujah. And so Paul says this, that we might experience to know to experience that you might know the love of Christ. Why? Because as we know the love of Christ and to the extent that we are knowing the love of Christ, we are being filled up to all the fullness of God. Now that's what Paul's prayer is in 319. There's another part of it, but that's the essential part that I wanted to, felt the Lord wanted us to talk about this morning. Why is he praying this way? And why does he say specifically that you may know the love of Christ? Why didn't he just say that you may know the love of God? Why does he specify the love of Christ in order to experience or be filled up with the fullness of God? Why does he do that? Paul understands by the revelation of the Holy Spirit and by experiencing Paul understands that God's intra-Trinitarian love, 
Do you know what I mean now by God's intra-Trinitarian love? What does intra mean? Inside. It's inside. God's intra-Trinitarian love is that love which exists within the Godhead that is experienced and expressed among the three persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's God's intra-Trinitarian love. That's the love of God. That's what John means when he says God is love. He's speaking about specifically and only that love that exists within God himself for each member of the Trinity. That is that dynamic, that is that atmosphere, if you would, of love in which the three members of the Trinity exist and relate and function in their distinct roles. That's the love that we're talking about. But why does he say the love of Christ? He understands that God's intra-Trinitarian love is revealed and is given to us only in the incarnation of the Son. The love of God is revealed only in the incarnation of the Son of God and is gifted to us only as a result of the incarnation of the Son of God when we are given the gift of God's Holy Spirit who brings to us that very love that exists within God into our hearts. That is the love that begins to permeate and flood our hearts. And that only occurs in the incarnation. You see, the Bible says this, that the heavens declare what? The glory of God. We can look at nature and see something of the handiwork of our God. And maybe even a glimpse of how much God loves this world by superintending and watching over the function of this world. We can maybe get a little bit of the love of God in that. But there's only one way we get to understand and to experience God's personal intra-love. There's only one way that that love comes to us. And that is in the incarnation of the Son through the atoning sacrificial death of the Son resulting in his burial and then in his resurrection and then in his ascension and then in giving the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit coming to us to bring us in to that loving fellowship which exists within God himself. That's the love that the Bible is talking about. In the incarnation, God's intratarian love, intratrinitarian love is manifested in the son's love for his father and the father's love for his son by the spirit. This is specifically the love that is communicated and given to us through the incarnation. It's specifically emphasizing the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, and all of that by the Holy Spirit. That's the love that we're talking about specifically. 
So Paul is praying that God's original purpose for his people will be fulfilled. This is God's purpose as we see it in Genesis 1.26. This is what Genesis 1.26 is all about. Let us make man in what? Our image. The image of our own love for one another. Let us make man in such a way that in this creature, our love, the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, all of that by the Holy Spirit's love for the Father and the Son, all of that. Let us make man in such a way that this community of love, this community of relational fellowship in love may be manifested in a people so that these people will grow and, what, have children and expand so that the entire world may be filled with the glory of God, as Habakkuk says in 2.4, the glory of the revelation and the activity of God's own love. That's what Genesis one twenty six is all about. That's where God is going. That's what's happening today. And that's what will be fulfilled in the perusa. Remember, the perusa means the return of Christ. So that on the day of the Lord Jesus' return and the establishment finally, fully, and forever of his kingdom, Genesis one twenty six will be fully realized. So you must see the Bible in connection with God's primary purpose for creating us in his image, that we would be a people of and in and through his own love. That love which exists in himself as displayed and given to us in the incarnational atonement of his own son at the cross and brought to us in the resurrection and following. You see, It is this love that God wanted to image in Adam and Eve. Do we we get that? Can I go over and can I continue? Do you get that? It is specifically this love, this love. No other love. This love. This unique love of a father for his son, of the son. For the Father, of the Spirit, for the Father and the Son, of the Father and Son's love, of the Spirit. This three in loving, fellowshipping, communing, fellow, you know, community. This is the love. This is the love of God. But after the fall, remember, this love necessitated John 1, 14. You remember John 1, 14? John 1, 14. What does it say? And the Word. Who is the Word? The eternal Son. The Son of the Father. The Son of the Father's love. The recipient of the Father's love. The one who loves the Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, in loving obedience and cooperation with the Father and the Son's love, we can read the reality and the truth of John 1.14. And it says what? And the word what? This son. This son. 
this one who loves the Father, whom the Father loves, is brought forth by the loving work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Word became flesh. And what? Tabernacled or dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of what? The glory of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and the love of the Holy Spirit to manifest that. We beheld His glory. That glory! And we beheld His glory full of what? Grace and truth. That glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the glory. That's the glory that is manifested in Jesus walking on the water. That's the glory that is manifested in Jesus opening blind eyes. That's the glory of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the glory. It is the glory of the revelation and the reality of that intra-Trinitarian love of God himself coming to us and regenerating us so that we will be the people of the image of his own love. That's the glory. It's not some mystical thing. It is in a way, but it, it is a very practical thing. You see, it is the revelation of this love that the angel announced to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be to all the peoples. What great joy. The joy of the Father's love for the Son. The joy of the Son's love for the Father. The joy of the Holy Spirit's love for the Father and the Son. To manifest the joy. This is the revelation. It's the revelation of this love about which the Father is speaking at Jesus' baptism. Remember in Matthew 3.16 and in Luke 3.21, I think it is, Jesus undergoes the waters of baptism showing what? What is he showing? He's showing that I have come to die for my people. But as we'll see, why? And what is the Father? For the first time, heaven opens and a voice from the heavenly father says what this is my beloved son the son of my love akapitos the son of my love the one whom i love this is who is being baptized here this is the love that the father is talking about see this is the love that consumed jesus in 217 of john and he goes into the temple, remember in chapter 2, and he looks around, and he sees all the merchandising. He sees all the corruption. He sees all the activity. Let me say it this way. Now, listen to how I'm going to say it. He sees the revelation and the zeal and the activity of man's fallen love for himself. Come on, come on. He sees the revelation and the activity of the zeal of man's love, fallen love for himself. That's what Jesus sees at the, in the temple. When he sees this corruption and it's giving and selling and making money and bartering and all that, 
that's not the issue that is concerning him. The issue that is concerning him is that in the very place where my father dwells is a people whose love for themselves is being accentuated at the expense of the revelation of my father's love. And what happens as a result? The righteous zeal and anger of Jesus rises up to oppose this alien, this alien love, this love that says this is God's love. And he makes a whip. And this man of love begins to go through that outer court, which is called the court of the Gentiles, and begins to whip those people, throwing over the tables. This guy, this man looks like a maniac. And what does it say? The disciples remembered the word from Psalms. I think it's Psalm, what, 69? can't remember. Zeal for thy house has what? Consumed me. Why? Because you see, the temple in Jerusalem at that point was to be the visible manifestation and dwelling place of the very presence of this triune God. To be the very presence and manifestation of what the love of God is for his people and what their love for him is to be. And Jesus says, love for thy house, love for this embodiment, this embodiment of God's love in his people. Zeal for that. Why? Why is Jesus so zealous for this love to be embodied in us? Because it manifests God's intra-Trinitarian love. And that's what Jesus is all about. That's what he's about in our lives. So this man is angry with the righteous anger of a holy God about the impugning and the rejection and the replacement of an alien and fallen and corrupt love saying that this is a love of God. He's upset. Yes, yeah, Psalm 69.9 is where it comes from. You see, it is the revelation of this. What love? When I say this love, what love is it? What love? This love? The love of the Father for the Son. The love of the Son for the Father as manifested in the love of the Holy Spirit for the Father and the Son and reciprocally. It is this love, this love. This is the love that is being manifested when Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. <clears throat> this love. For God so loved the world. Why? 
Why does God love us so much? Because we are to be the vessels of his own love. And that he is going to place in us. This is mind-boggling. That he is going to place in us, as a reference, you can look it up, get ahead of me a little bit, John 17, 26. He is going to place in us that very love that he has in himself. By uniting us to the son of his love. So that the very love with which God loves the Son and which the Son loves the Father, all by the love of the Holy Spirit, that very love may be residential in us so that God the Father will love us with the very same love with which he loves his own Son. That's why God loves us. And that's how God loves us. You see, it was not necessary at all that God create a people. But he wanted to share himself. You see, God's love for us is not the goal. God's love for us, we are the indirect object. Remember, the subject is God, the verb is God, God's love, and the object is God's love. The Father's, the Father loves the Son. Or the son loves the father. That's the subject and the verb and the object. The indirect object is the people of God. That that love may be manifested in us. So we do say God loves us. But he doesn't love us as the direct object of his love, but as the indirect object. So as we are brought into this sentence, we become one with the direct object. Don't remember some grammar here. I'm just See, this is the love that moved Jesus to pray in John 17, 1 through 4. Listen to it. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. What? What? Manifest your love. Manifest your love for me. Manifest my love for you. Glorify your son. Manifest this love. Make it clear. <clears throat> Make it clear. Father, glorify your Son. Why? That the Son may glorify you. Do you see the reciprocity? You know what I mean by that reciprocal going back and forth? You see the reciprocity of love? Glorify me that I may glorify you. Manifest your love for me that I may manifest my love for you. That's what this says. Even how? How? How do you do that? Even if you're given, as you have given what? All authority. Him, the Son, all authority over flesh. Remember Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Why has he been given all authority? He's been given authority to manifest this indwelling love of God. He's been given, Jesus has been given in the incarnation. The Son has been given in the incarnation in the man Jesus Christ. He's been given authority to manifest this love of God in his people. So look that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. 
do you see what's happening? Do you see what he's talking about here? And, and then he defines, what is eternal life? For this is eternal life. What? To know, gnosko, to know personally and experientially, to know personally, to know thee who alone are truly God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what Jesus is praying for. This is the culmination at the cross which will purchase and procure the Father's eternal purpose for us. See, this is a revelation that Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 2, 12, too. Looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down where? At the right hand of God. This is the great joy that the angel talked about, remember, in chapter 2 of Luke. Behold, I bring you news of a great joy. This is the joy. Jesus' joy that by going to the cross, I will fulfill my Father's loving request of me to die so that his love for me and my love for him may be in his people. That's what's happening. That's why we're saved. We were saved as vessels, as image bearers of that love of God. It is this love that has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Remember Romans 5, 5? What does it say? For the love of God. What love? This intra-Trinitarian love. For the love of God has been what? Poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're beginning to see something about the distinction between our love and God's love and why it took the very death of the Son of God to pay for and the penalty of all of the corruption of our own self-centered love in order that God's holy, pure love may be placed in us and may be through the process of transformation and, con- and being conformed to the image of his Son that his love may be growing and developing in us called the fruit of the Spirit. It is this love with which we are to love God and one another. It is this love that we now look to as we consider the Father's love for the Son. I'll just close with this. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It is a benediction well, well worth remembering. Paul closes 2 Corinthians, and how does he close it? Is it written there for the, for the what? Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, or the love of the Father, however you want to say it, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may be with you, right? What is he saying? He's saying this. First, this is a Trinitarian passage. Son, Father, Holy Spirit, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What he's saying here is that the, God, that the Father's love, see, the love of the Father, love of God, comes to us through the grace, through the atoning gift of the Son, Jesus Christ. 
who purchases us as God's people so that we may be the people of God's love and he purchases us by God's love, loving the Father. And then as a result of that purchase, that love of God comes to us and is developed in us by the fellowshipping of the Holy Spirit. It is the Father's eternal purpose to have a people in whom his love is placed and manifested. It is the eternal purpose of the Son to be the one who will purchase that people for God's, the Father's purpose. And it is the eternal purpose of the Holy Spirit to bring that people into a fellowship, the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what we have today, and we see this in 2 Peter 1, 4. You'll have to look that one up. What we have today in us, living in us, is the very fellowshipping of the three persons of the Trinity. We are experiencing that particular unique love. And it is that particular unique love that God is developing in us and is to be manifested in us and expressed through us to others. This is why I say stop trying to love others. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to produce God's love in us and begin to express God's love through us, correct? So when I look at something of my own life and I see a lack of love, frustration, anger, resentment, jealousy, whatever it is, I realize that's my love. Right, Anton? That's my love. Angel, right? Jackie, that's my love. Jason, right? That's my love. Those things are my love. Pharaoh, my love. So I go to the Holy Spirit, and I ask him to give me the gift of repentance. What does that mean? That Holy Spirit will change my activity, my love, my whatever is corrupt there into and by his own love so that that corruption may be being replaced by the purity of God's own love. So I find myself literally loving people and walking with people, not perfectly. I literally find myself loving people, not with my love, but with God's kind of love. Right? It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. So next week, we'll talk a little bit about the Father's love for the Son, and then we'll transition to the Son's love for the Father in the next week or two. Thank you.